Welcome to the Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to The Short-Term Show. Today, we have a guest that I'm really, really excited about. We're going to talk about data. I have Mr. Amir Dukic, uh, the CEO and founder of Rabu, and we have a really exciting show for you today. So let's get to it. How's it going, Amir? I'm doing well. A little bit of a cold, but uh, good otherwise. I really appreciate the invite. Happy to be on, Avery. Yeah, yeah, really excited to have you on. So for those of the listeners who don't know, will you kind of introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, tell us a little bit about Rabu, and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Amir Dukic, as Avery mentioned, I'm the CEO of Rabu. Uh, what Rabu does is we help investors acquire and operate short-term rentals. We believe that short-term rentals themselves can become an asset class and are becoming an asset class. So we're providing both free tools and some paid services for investors so that they can actually invest into this NASA class. We're based in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm temporarily in Miami, Florida, because we have a project down here that we're launching. Um, but we've seen most of the success and most of our focus is really across the South, Southeast, uh, because that's this is where we've seen most of the opportunity in the short-term rental space to be. Awesome. I have a lot of people that ask me, well, why are you mostly in the Southeast? And I'm like, well, because it, it just kind of happened that way. It wasn't on purpose, but a lot of the short-term rental opportunity is in this area of the country. So I'm glad that, to be on the same page. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, I mean, uh, if you think about it, uh, real estate is still probably most affordable here in the Southeast. Um, and there's also a, a large migration of people moving South, right? We saw that during COVID side, pre-COVID. So it's just it's perfect alignment for the South Southeast to really be kind of the most opportunistic area for somebody to invest in into short term rentals. Absolutely. So you guys do a few different things. Can you kind of hit the high points with a little bit of detail on exactly the services that you guys offer before we yeah. dive in? Yeah, absolutely. So we started off managing short term rentals. We still manage short term rentals. Uh, but as we started kind of doing a deeper dive into management, so we started this in Charlotte. Uh, as, as we started doing a deeper dive into the management of properties, especially in urban markets. So we're less in vacation markets, more so in some urban markets, cities like Charlotte. We started getting requests from investors that would say, hey, can you help us understand how much our property can earn? Can you help make our units more secure? Can you do these different things that kind of are, are part of the life cycle, the operations of a short-term rental? So. Uh, having come from a, a technology and a startup background, uh, the prior company I was with was acquired by NBC Sports. We had kind of the, the technical know-how. Um, so we started building tools that both helped us as an operator manager, as well as our customers um, understand the space. So we built a data analytics tool that made it really easy for people to get an initial projection on the revenue they can generate. We built some safety tools within the properties around smart blocks and thermostats that help us control access to, to properties. Uh, and then we have an entire management arm, uh, including a revenue management team that is really focused deep on generating the best returns possible for our clients, which in our clients are primarily real estate investors that are acquire, acquiring properties, the sole purpose of turning them into short-term rentals, not so much to use them as second homes. 
Awesome. Awesome. And I think that's a really good distinction to make is that um, the second home thing. So yes, you can totally use that type of financing, that 10% down. And a lot of people do, but you absolutely want to make sure that you are following the rules on that. And if you're not, if, if you're trying to bend everything, bend your investment to, or I just kind of said it for myself. If you're really just trying to bend the rules to make it an investment property, you might as well just go with a 15% down either conventional investment loan or DSCR loan, because I really do feel like this has been a sticking point with me lately. I really do feel like Fannie Mae is kind of catching on to that second home loan with the short-term rental investors. And I think it's getting abused in a lot of ways. And at best, it's going to get taken away from all of us short-term rental investors, or at worst, people are going to start getting pinched for mortgage fraud on that. So um, that is my soapbox of the day. You just set me off on it, but we'll get back to you. We're, we're here to talk about you. All right. So let's talk about the data that you guys provide, because a lot of our clients are, you know, they're using a lot of different tools, whether it's AirDNA, but a lot of people are starting to, I'm starting to see Rabu mentioned a lot in terms of helping to analyze uh, what the income would be for potential short-term rental investment. So tell us about the data services that you offer. Yeah. So it's a free tool that we built. So uh, it's probably better to kind of give you the full background there. So, you know, as I mentioned, we started off as a short-term rental manager and we were using, you know, we would get the question all the time from investors. Hey, how much can my property make? I looked on Airbnb. I'm seeing these properties. I'm making X, Y, and Z a night or charging X, Y, and Z a night, but I'm trying to understand, you know, how much I can make. So we did what everybody else would do. We would go to AirDNA uh, and, you know, tap in, go into their, into their tool, um, which transparently speaking is a great tool. Uh, you would get, look at the market stats, then go to the rentalizer to look at the actual prop, to tap in the address to get a, get a result. All that was powerful, but we didn't think it was granular enough and simple enough for our needs, right? So we built our own tool where we started collecting data from the marketplaces that we would go on, Airbnb and others, to see, hey, let's go ahead and simulate ourselves to see how much money we could make here um, if we turn this into an Airbnb. And we started using it as a sales tool for ourselves and started kind of sending these reports to owners that, were getting, that we were getting ready to work with. Uh, and they loved it. They kept diving into it. They asked us for a more real-time view of it. So we created a kind of behind a login wall version of it. And we kept seeing more and more kind of interaction with it, more and more demand into the tool itself. So, uh, you know, we are a big kind of be uh, believer of the abundance mindset. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the more people can have access to a tool, the more people are doing short-term rentals the right way, Airbnb rentals the right way, the more we're all going to benefit from it. There's no one, one company wins all type situation. We think there's a big opportunity for everybody involved. So based on a recommendation from one of our advisors, we, we decided to kind of create a front-end facing version of that tool. So... We put it on data.reblue.com and we made it as simple to use as, you know, looking in realtor.com or Zillow uh, for a property. You type in an address, we give you the projections that we have, we show you all the comps, we give you filters to really be able to filter down and kind of identify the properties that are most like yours um, so that you can see how those are performing so you can get a good idea of what your revenue potential is. Um, based on, you know, how others in the market are pricing and how they're booking up um, across their own portfolios. 
Awesome. Awesome. So I always, I always recommend to people to make sure that you're using more than one data source because no one data source can be 100% perfect. And um, I see, I actually saw a comment in a Facebook group this morning where an investor said, oh, AirDNA is useless because it can't tell you if the property next door to you is like really, really themed. And that's why it's getting a lot more than you and or, you know, any other comps in the market that are of similar size. So um, I think that's really important to remember that when you're looking at data that you also want to be able to see, like go, we, we call it the enemy method at the short-term shop. And you guys kind of provide the comps so that you can go do the enemy method. But to kind of recap what the enemy method is, it's where you zoom in on the neighborhood on Airbnb or VRBO that you are looking at investing in. And you take a look at the data and then look at your enemies or your neighbors. Neighbor method isn't as fun to say. So we call it the enemy method. <laughs> and you're it. zooming in. Yeah. <laughs> and so you've got your data over here, but there's things that numbers can't tell you, uh, certain intangibles about the property. So you use the enemy method to go in and see why the data says what it says. So it's really cool that I just, um, I'll get to this in a minute, but I was just using your tool a minute ago. And you can dive in and, and see what comps are being used to get the number that you're arriving at so that you can then go in and say, oh, well, you know, this one comes with a, a private jet. So that's why they're getting right. a million dollars more than me a night. So that's yeah, really cool. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, transparently speaking, you can never, the only way that you uh, for 100% know how much another property is making is by actually having their data set, right? Being in their Airbnb account or in their property management system account and seeing how they're performing. None of the, we don't do that. We don't have access to that. AirDNA doesn't have access to that. Nobody else does. The best thing we can do is utilize historical data and utilize you know, real-time data that we collect from the marketplaces themselves to see, to tell you how they're pricing their units. If something was you know, priced yesterday for $200 and then you know, today it's no longer available, we'll, we'll have to make some assumptions, right? Because we don't know what happened. We'll make an assumption that this was likely booked for $200 a night based on the data that we have. It's available to us. And then, uh, so that's the first piece on the data collection. And the second piece that I think is important, which I think you're alluding to here, Avery, is that you really need to kind of, not every, especially in real estate, no two properties are the same, right? Um, you know, in some master bill communities, yeah, they're very similar, but for the most part, properties aren't the same. Furniture makes a big difference. Photos make a big difference. Amenities make a big difference. So we allow you in our app uh, to see those, actually look at those items, look at the number of five-star reviews, look at the average rating, look at all the particulars that kind of drive the revenue of a property. And then based on those, make the selection. But there's no artificial, artificial intelligence systems that can do that on your behalf. We can give you the opportunity to do it yourself, which is what data.rabu does. Uh, but you know, we can't do it for you because it's impossible for us to know, you know, by analyzing pictures through through the technology. It's just not possible at this moment. Exactly. So I always tell people to, you know, take the data, use the data, and then use it in conjunction with the enemy method to see why the data says what it says. And there's one thing that you just said that I really, really want to highlight because I see investors ask this question a lot where they'll look at the data and they'll say, okay, this is all great, but I want to see, quote, real data. I want to know what other investors are actually doing. And that is just unknowable. You would have to have access to every single person on the platforms bookkeeping, basically. So that is just not something that is a realistic thing 
to expect to be able to find. You just can't know what everyone else is doing without them opening up their books to you. Yeah, that that's 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 a great point, Avery. The other thing also worth noting is that not everybody manages the properties the same way. And I'm not even talking about property managers here. You know, you, for example, based on what I know about you, you probably do a really good job communicating with your guests that uh, and you can by doing so and being really proactive in communication, you can create a better experience for the guests, which even with an inferior house, you can make more money because of the little things that you do as a host. So there's a, uh, the operations piece is a really big component of the overall money that you can generate. That's why it's really important to look at the, the reviews that a property has, because that's probably a better correlation to how much money can generate than really anything else. If you are a good operator, you'll make more money. Exactly. And I want to make sure that everyone heard that loud and clear. So the CEO and founder of what has become basically a short-term rental data company is telling you the answer is still, it depends on you. You can look at all the data in the world, but if you get in there and mismanage it, you are not going to make the money that others will. And even if you don't mismanage it, there are still like just some little tweaks that you kind of have to do some trial and error to kind of see what happens. So, you know, an example that I like to use a lot is your minimum night stay in different markets. You know, if somebody is managing the exact same as you, but they have a five night minimum night stay and you have a three night, you might be making more money per year if it works best in that market. So it's still, no matter what the data says, it's still up to you. The data can just tell you what historical, um, historically things have been doing and what you can probably do. Yeah, and what others in the market are doing. A lot of people right. transparently use data.rablu.com to see how their competitors are pricing their properties. You know, there's um, I know there's some groups that go in there and see if somebody's pricing their properties with dynamic pricing, if they have flat pricing throughout their calendar. So there's some, you know, it's really good, powerful data to have. Much easier than actually going to Airbnb and like click on each one of the each one of the listings yourself. Um, but uh, again, at the end of the day, it's all about the operations. You know, there's that's what matters. Absolutely. So let's get into your your tool for a second. So yep. do you provide data for the entire country or just certain markets? So we provide data for the entire continental United States. So we have set up systems and have, you know, transparently purchased some historical data um, to understand uh, how every any address in the continental United States can perform. So what we do is basically you tap in your address and then what we'll do and tell us how many bedrooms your property. So what we'll then do is we'll start doing kind of uh, half a mile uh, uh, radius increment searches until we find at least 10 properties that are um, within that radius of, of, your, uh, of the address that you gave us. And then we present those properties to you. Um, and then uh, we, uh, we look at the properties that those, let's say we, can, we have 10 comps. We'll then look at how those properties are priced over the next 12, uh, 12 months, what their nightly rates are, what their occupancy is. And then we'll also take the um, historical uh, seasonality of that asset. Um, so for example, let's just say it's um, uh, Hillsborough County, which is in Tampa, Tampa Bay, Florida area. Um, we'll see that historically based on data that we've collected, that that is extremely popular kind of from March, and I'm just making this up, uh, March through September, 
it's not as popular in the October, November months and January is the lowest month. So we'll take those into account and based on that are able to kind of project a, a revenue number, uh, our average monthly revenue number seasonalized for your asset. Awesome. And I actually did just test this out. So uh, it's not really any secret that I'm not a huge fan of the AirDNA Rentalizer, um, but I did compare. So I used your free tool. I'm not on the um, paid side of it. So I analyzed or I typed in the address for two properties of mine in two different markets. One's a two bedroom, one's a four bedroom. So the first one was a two bedroom in the Smoky Mountains. The second one was a four bedroom in Destin, Florida and compared and AirDNA uh, rentalized me significantly low, uh, $35,000 low on one and $15,000 low on the other one, um, 35,000 low on the four bedroom and 15 low on the, um, on the two bed. And then you guys were a little bit high, but it was within $10,000 on the big one and within $5,000 on the smaller one. So it was more accurate. That's, that's great to hear. Um, <laughs> you know, it really is. I mean, we, we, we try, we've, we've been kind of adjusting the algorithm and we've, we've been kind of collecting more and more data to get to that point. So that's, I love that real life uh, feedback. Um, you know, obviously we're continuously looking to improve that. And I'm sure you can, if you pull some triggers on the comps, uh, you can probably get to, to the very close to the number that you, your property has. Um, but that's, that's exciting to hear that we're, they were so relatively close, even on an initial yeah, yeah. search. Yeah. Yeah. And granted I spent, less than five minutes on this. So I didn't dive in any further than that. Uh, so one thing that I hear a lot about, and I don't mean to just keep comparing you guys to AirDNA, but that's just, you know, the other biggest sure. one out there. Uh, but a lot of people are like, well, AirDNA doesn't know the difference between a blocked night and a, an actual booked night. What's the difference with you guys and AirDNA? Or is that something that is knowable? Or can you shed some light on that in respect to Reboot? Yeah, I mean, we, we try to, it, it's, it's impossible to know 100%. Um, so the way our algorithm works, our data collection works is we look at properties. Uh, and if they're available today, but not available tomorrow, we have to make the assumption that it was booked, right? Um, now, technically, it could have been blocked uh, by somebody um, for whatever reason. Uh, but we make the assumption that it was booked for the price for our last recorded price of when we kind of analyze the data. So that's what we do. Uh, but we also put in, in our, if I get too technical, when, when we do the initial searches, we have a lot of kind of triggers in place to take out properties that very much seem like they're not true full-time rentals or even like majority time rentals based on, you know, what their calendar availability looks like for the foreseeable future. You know, we don't ever take into account any property that's, that shows 100% booked nights because that, that's usually somebody that just has a property, they're leaving an Airbnb, they're not booking it out. So we have some triggers in place that are having, you know, having us eliminate properties uh, and that look like they have blocked dates based on behavior that we're seeing uh, and how those calendars are changing over time or what their availability is over time. So uh, it's not perfect. It's probably one of those that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Avery. Avery. We won't know, we can't know unless we actually have direct access to your Airbnb account, which we don't, uh, or your property management system. Uh, but I believe we get a pretty good idea based on some of kind of the triggers that we are pulling and the data that we're following uh, to get to, the, to our projections. 
Awesome. Awesome. So if I want to switch from just using that free version to the paid version, what's the cost of that? So we really don't have a paid version right now. So what you're seeing okay. on data.rabu.com is the free version. Um, we have started working uh, with some uh, brokerages um, where we are taking our, where they're licensing our data to underwrite properties that become available in MLS so that they can help their clients find properties to buy. That's kind of a one-off that we do with, with a handful of groups. Um, but that's the only way we're monetizing this data by itself uh, at the moment. So there's no, um, there's no, no paid version. We are looking to add some additional features to this tool, um, but we're trying to be really careful because I think one of the great things about it is how simple it is, right? We're not making you go look through market maps. We're not having you do too much, too many other things. We're just saying, tap in an address, we're gonna give you a comp set. And then you can kind of filter through that. Um, some of the things we're looking into are you know, uh, deal calculators that we're looking to add. We just uh, debuted uh, a map feature that is hidden for most people, that, but that, that would give you an idea on a map uh, where those properties are, the ones that you can select and deselect. So again, that you can, you know, educate yourself because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're kind of looking at a uh, by radius uh, perspective, you know, especially if you get more urban, a two mile radius in one direction and a two mile radius in another direction could put you in significantly different neighborhoods, right? Um, so, you know, we're going to give you the ability to see that and to say, oh, well, this isn't an area that's not as developed. It's not a good comp for that reason. And then you select that as a comp set. So um, at this moment, we don't have plans to make this a, a paid product. Again, it's kind of the abundance mindset that I mentioned earlier. That's amazing. I was about to say that. That is quite an abundance mindset. Uh, have you read The Go-Giver? I have not. Um, oh my gosh, you have to read it because that's what the book that I immediately thought of when you were telling the story about yeah, why you're not down. charging. What's the, can, you, can you just give me a quick high level on on that book? Uh, basically, the the more you give to others, the the better off everybody is, including yourself. So basically, you are the the rising tide that raises all the ships, including your own. Yeah, I love that. I very much believe that um, um, because... <laughs> This is such a big opportunity, especially with a lot of the tailwinds that COVID has not created for this industry. Um, you know, the interesting thing for us right now on the, on the management side, our average length of stay pre-COVID was about two and a half days. And we're at 44 days on average now across our portfolio because people are just booking these properties months at a time for, you know, live, from, live and work from anywhere lifestyles, which has been really interesting to follow. Yeah, so let's switch gears here for a minute. Let's let's talk about the the trends that you're seeing on your management side. First of all, though, I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning. You are an investor. You own some units. So tell me what's in your in your portfolio that you own. Yeah, so the way the company started transparently is uh, my wife and I uh, purchased a house in Charlotte, which is where we were originally based, um, that had a detached garage and had a room above the garage. So we decided to turn that into an Airbnb. Uh, just open for some discretionary income. You know, at that point, I had two little ones. So I was hoping that would kind of help offset some of the child care costs, right? We're just being an entrepreneur. Uh, and next thing you know, this little room above our garage was paying the mortgage on our house. So that's how we got started. So with that property that we owned, we then got a few more small properties around Charlotte primarily. Uh, uh, and right at that point is when investors started coming up to us and saying, hey, we're seeing what you're doing. Can you participate in the space? But um, we, so we have everything from single family homes, um, as part of a group, 
I just personally invested into a uh, 24-unit multifamily building in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, so we're going to turn that from a 24-unit. Uh, it used to be kind of like a, what's the best way to describe it, like a halfway house type setup um, okay. uh, that had the proper zoning in Asheville. So we were very lucky there. Uh, and we're going to convert that into 16 kind of boutique Airbnb apartment hotel uh, hotel right outside of downtown uh, Asheville that we're really excited about. So it's a multifamily play in this instance. So we have everything from single family to small multifamily. Okay, awesome. And are they all in the short-term space or are they in other like long-term space as well? Yeah, so they're all furnished rentals. Um, so when we manage properties, we manage properties, uh, everything from short-term, so daily stays, but then also we're big into weekly and monthly space. Um, that's more of kind of the urban nature of the um markets that we that we uh are in so we'll see um, a lot of monthly states no we've had a few like annual states but we're really not too big on the annual piece um we lack the flexibility of the furnished rental it can really be multiple things especially in urban markets yeah so which let's actually i want to come back to the medium term stay thing what markets do you guys have most of your units that you manage currently yeah so charlotte north carolina is number one for us right now um just because we've been there the longest uh, is where we historically started uh but we're making a, an expansion into nashville is another one uh of course we have to be smart about the regulations but we just had a investor acquire a um, motel in nashville that they're converting into an airbnb uh boutique hotel um so that's that nashville is going to be a big market for us uh miami florida which is where i'm currently um, we have about 28 units in, in the Miami, Florida area, uh, doing a deep expansion in uh, Dallas, Dallas and kind of central Texas, Dallas and Austin. Uh, we're big into Atlanta as well. Um, and then we have a handful of units kind of in markets that we're exploring. Montgomery, Alabama is one of them. Uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas is another. Um, some markets like Richmond, Virginia, we only have monthly rentals uh, in which we have 10 there right now uh, and they're all monthly rentals and they're all performing really well. So those are the, our, our biggest markets at the moment. Awesome. So the, the medium term rental is something that I'm hearing a lot more about in the urban space. So I, as you know, mostly work and invest as far as short terms are concerned in the vacation markets, but let's talk about this urban um, medium term rental. So what types of uh, people in terms of, you know, demographics who are coming to visit and why, uh, who, what's the, the person that is renting something in one of these markets on like a monthly basis? Yeah. So we've seen it all, but kind of the biggest um, use case and the most common are young professionals, unmarried young professionals. So uh, a couple that's dating or a couple newly engaged um, or even married, they're really the ones that are saying, hey, I used to live in New York. The prices in New York are really expensive. You know, for cheaper, I can go live in Charlotte for three months, then go to Miami during the winter months, then go to different places. So we're seeing a lot of these kind of, if people are moving and living there for a few months, it's really kind of that kind of, I would say, <coughs> excuse me, early 20s through mid 30s, uh, single individuals. But we're also seeing a lot of uh, families uh, move into spaces usually when they're in between homes or just moving to a new city. Uh, so we'll see people, um, you know, you know, for example, I did this when I moved down to Miami, we rented an Airbnb for four months while we were, while we were here working on this project. 
Uh, it's a little tougher with kids to be in a different new city, but we're now building a house in Charlotte. And when we move back to, to Charlotte, we're going to live in an Airbnb for four months while our house is built. Uh, and it's going to be perfect because it's going to be the same school district as where we are. Um, so we see a lot of that. The other ones that I see a lot as well are uh, with, uh, we, we partner with uh, home insurance companies. So whenever there's an incident, let's say a fire at a house, uh, the insurance companies will then work to place their, you know, the tenants of that house in an Airbnb for a few months while the house is getting fixed. So it's really a combination of those kind of uh, groups right now. Awesome. I think there's a lot of opportunity in that insurance space. I've had a few guests recently who own, you know, other things, traditional vacation rentals, but then also are in that medium term. So like Atlanta and Dallas specifically that uh, Rachel Gainsbrew and then Karan Narang, who were both on previously do the medium term insurance thing. Uh, I noticed you did not mention traveling medical professionals like nurses. And I'm wondering, cause I see probably 10 Facebook posts a day and maybe like two or three bigger pockets posts a day where people are saying, I want to start a medium term rental to market to travel nurses. Do you feel like the travel nurse thing is kind of saturated or, and I hate to use the word saturated because I hate when people use the word saturated with me, but that's the word I'm going to use. Do you feel like there's too many people targeting that specific demographic in the medium term space? I, I do. I do. Uh, and my wife's a nurse. Um, so she sees a lot of her coworkers kind of do the travel nursing thing. Uh, and they, and I forget what the name of the website is right now. Most of them go through a specific website and the name is just escaping me. Um, and for oh, is it work, Furnish Finder? Yeah, I, I, that's probably it, uh, Avery. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing is that uh, nurses also a lot of times have are, are relatively tight budgets. So, um, you know, there's some, they have to get creative in the way they do that. So we've definitely had some nurses, but that hasn't been kind of the overwhelming scenario that we've seen. It's really been more of the young professionals just had the flexibility to be anywhere. Um, nurses also somewhat tied to usually be in areas that aren't <coughs> the greatest geographic locations from, from a traveling side. So oh, really? we haven't, yeah, um, we haven't seen a lot of that. For example, my wife, who's a nurse based out of Charlotte, she gets recruited to go to kind of relatively remote places all the time. Um, so all markets are more urban. There's less of a need in those markets for, for travel nurses because of the density oh. of nurses already in place. Okay. I had, I just had a light bulb go off. Like, yeah, the travel nurses, the reason that they are traveling is because they're being recruited to come to places where there's a need and not enough. So those are Correct. probably not big urban areas where a lot of people live. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, you know, those, those, you know, nurse nurses as, as a husband of a nurse, they're special people. There really are some of the hardest workers deal with some of the craziest stuff. So props to them for being able to do that. Yeah, seriously. I know I have never been more grateful to anyone than some of my labor and delivery nurses. Like, my God, they do. They, they're amazing people. You couldn't pay me enough. You couldn't pay yeah, me enough. Same. Um, no way. Props to them. Exactly. I 100% agree with that. Well, awesome. So we are getting close to the end of the show. Uh, there are three questions that I ask everyone who comes on. The first of which is... What advice would you give to 20-year-old Amir, knowing what you know now? Oh, man. Um, do research. Do the research. And then take incremental steps. So I think, you know, I know you're big in bigger pockets. I think the bigger pockets community is, is awesome. Um, 
I, I highly encourage people to spend time on communities like that. I'm sure, you know, on the short-term rental shop. Um, but take steps. Don't get bogged down with like paralysis analysis, right? Uh, that's easy to do. The steps don't have to be big. Uh, take even like baby steps, but start taking steps and then see kind of where the momentum takes you. Um, you know, don't overanalyze things because that's going to get you in trouble. Not in trouble in the sense that, you, you know, you do something wrong. In trouble in the sense that you're never going to move, right? You're going to kind of get stuck. So always recommend set action items that can be as small as, you know, uh, listen to one short-term show podcast a week, right? Uh, little things that just build up and create uh, momentum. So, you know, it took me forever to get started. And then when I started taking the little steps that helped out tremendously. I 100% agree with that. I see people all the time that, you know, maybe they start out in a real estate investing community like Bigger Pockets, or, you know, there's tons of different Facebook groups now. And they'll, they'll come talk to me for a long time. And they'll, then they'll, because they want short-term rentals. And then they'll see somebody post about self-storage. And then they'll go over, like, I see them um, real hard on my friend, Corinne, who's like the queen of self-storage. And they never, I kind of watch them make the rounds and they never actually pull the trigger on anything because they kind of get the shiny object syndrome. They'll think, okay, I think this, this way is the way that I want to go. And then one person will post about their success with a different thing. And then all of a sudden they're hundred percent on this. So you really do at some point just have to kind of like zero in yeah. and take that path. For, for sure. And, and the plan will never be perfect. Um, you know, everybody's like, well, let me build my business plan. No, have an idea and take a step towards it and see where it takes you. There's nothing like learning, you know, what it's like. I mean, if you want to get on Airbnb, want to get involved with short-term rentals, create a listing of your room, of a room you have in a, a bedroom that you have in your house, or even create a listing of your house just to create it to see what the process is like. I'm not saying host a guest or do anything, but just like go through the steps so you can get yourself familiarized with, um, with, what it's like to do, to go through that process. Um, it, it's free to do, it's not gonna cost you anything. So um, highly recommend just like taking steps and getting yourself out there and seeing what happens from there. That's great advice. Question number two, what advice, kind of along the same lines and it might be the same advice, would you give to new, a new investor who's getting started in this space, the STR space now? Yeah, I mean, get started as soon as possible. Um, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of kind of, uh, I would say, honestly, institutional investor interest in the space. Um, mm -hmm. It's still very, very early in the space, but the kind of uh, the interest is coming from people that are going to have more capital than you. They're going to they're not going to make it as easy for you to find the right asset. So uh, I would say get started sooner than later. Uh, again, you don't have to start big. You can start small, uh, but get started uh, as soon as possible because uh, we're still early, but it's, you know, I get a lot of comparison from people because uh, we get approached by a lot of institutional investors and they're comparing what the short-term rental space is like right now to what the kind of single family long-term rental space was in the like early 2010 time period. Um, they're seeing a lot of correlation. There's a lot of people kind of like circling it and trying to figure out, is this scalable? Can I do this? Can I do this? Will this make me money? Um, uh, so I would say get started now. Don't wait for pro uh, high, uh, housing prices to fall because um, we've been waiting. I mean, Avery, you know better than anybody else, what, <laughs> 10 years now <laughs> for the yeah. housing prices to fall again. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah. And I always, what I'm noticing too, is people are like, oh, I'm waiting for it to fall. I'm waiting for it to fall, but it may fall 10%, but it may go up another 20% before it falls 10%. So it's still 10% higher than it is today. Yeah. And especially if you're in South, Southeast, I just find it hard to imagine that it's going to fall that much. All right. Yeah. I can see it fall in, you know, up north where it's more expensive, like San Francisco. I think we're seeing some stuff being kind of depressed a little bit, but not in the South, Southeast. That's not going to happen anytime soon based on what we're seeing so far. Yeah, I agree with that. And last question, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be real estate specific, does it, Avery? No, it doesn't. Uh, so my favorite one is uh, what to say when you're talking to yourself. So I kind of um, always kind of, you know, we all have some self-esteem issues, right? And I always kind of like thought I struggled. I, was, I always thought I was bad at speaking in public that I was bad at a lot of things. And what the book kind of, uh, what to say when you're talking to yourself taught you is that that's just a mental programming that you can get yourself out of that mindset by just positive speaking. It sounds crazy, but it tells you to stand in front of the mirror and say, let's say I'm bad at speaking in public. It's rather I presently struggle speaking in public, but I'm getting better every day. And by kind of even saying those small, like positive statements to yourself, you're programming your mind to not automatically shut down, right? When you're, doing something that you don't that you don't think you're good at at the moment and allows you to kind of grow that comfort like okay well actually maybe i'm i'm actually getting good at this oh wow now i'm good at this so uh what to say when you're talking to yourself um was one that was really impactful for me i have not heard of that book so i'm definitely going to check that out but thank you so much awesome of course awesome so oh sorry go ahead oh no that was it that was it yeah you should oh. definitely check it out oh yeah i absolutely will so we are coming to the end of our show. If guests are interested, I mean, guests, if listeners are interested in checking out your data or finding you, how can they find that? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So I always recommend to go to data.rabu.com. So that's the tool that Avery and I have been talking about. Free to use. Uh, you don't foresee us charging for that tool anytime in the near future. So highly recommend using it. Um, if you ever have any short-term rental questions uh, or looking about, about some specific markets, um, uh, you can always reach me at emir, E-M-I-R, at rabu.com, R-A-B-B-U.com. Um, so either way, um, I'm a zero inbox guy. So if you email me, I'll, I'll, I'll respond. I wish I could be a zero inbox girl. I cannot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. My, it drives my wife crazy that I am. But it's, if my inbox gets to like 20, I'm like, you know, I just get antsy. Uh, I just want to get it resolved. Uh, so it's weird. <laughs> I have a problem. I'm that person that has like 300 notifications on their phone at all times. So, and I just leave them, yeah. <laughs> get to them later. That's, that, that's crazy. Cause you know, when, you know, we're, we're all doing screen share these days, right. And zoom and stuff. And you know, when I'll have a team member do a screen share, we're talking about something and then, you know, we'll show their, their email inbox. And it's like 2,500. I'm like, that what what's wrong with you? But obviously, there's nothing wrong. There's something wrong with me. But it's just funny. Awesome, awesome. All right. Well, Amir, thank you so so much for coming, and we will catch you later. Thank you for having me, Avery.